The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Are you ready to create a life that's intentional and dynamic? Welcome to The Intentional Spirit with your host, Reverend Temple Hayes. Well, I don't know about you today, but wow, I am ready to be intentional and dynamic, which is one of the reasons I enjoy so much doing this show is that we are so fortunate to have the brilliant thinkers on the planet of the people that probably feel like some of their lives have been used as a guinea pig. I know I'd felt that way before, um, of just learning how to be an authentic person. And well, talk about a, a change maker and a difference maker. I'm so excited that we have Quinn Fontaine on our show today. Welcome, Quinn. I'm so glad you're here. Hi, Temple. Thanks so much for having me. And I'm just um, going to sit back and have some tea and listen to your amazing journey. And we have almost a full hour. And so how did Quinn get to be Quinn? I mean, um, take us back as far as you want to. Uh, tell us about your journey. You're, you're an incredible human being. Well, thank you so much. Um, Quinn is my chosen name. I'm an out and proud trans guy. I was assigned female at birth, knew from a really young age that I was transgender, but there, I knew that before there was a word for me. The word trans didn't come into existence. Transgender didn't come into existence till the early 90s, uh, if that, and not into the mainstream um, vernacular till much later. But I knew growing up in Virginia, I was in rural Virginia in oh. the 70s and 80s, I knew for me, double whammy, I'm 52 years old now. I was born in 67, and I knew looking around, I'm like, where are my people? Because I knew, and these are my words, I want to be very mindful and sensitive to the fact that a lot of my gender nonconforming brothers and sisters and siblings don't use this language. But I knew that I was a boy in the wrong body who happened to like girls. So double mm-hmm. whammy in the in the Virginia, and, and our state motto still is, Virginia is for lovers. And I was like keenly aware at a young age that that didn't mean me, and that didn't mean all lovers. Um, mm-hmm. So it was a really um, a tricky childhood holding those secrets, because at the time, you know, I would maybe peek on the, uh, on the news once a year after the National uh, Gay and Lesbian March on Washington, and I'd, I'd peek at the news coverage to see, well, are those my people? Is that my, is, are those my people? And at that time, they hadn't even added um, B, um, 
be bisexual to the to the vernacular, and now it's growing. It grow it changes hourly, right? L G B T I Q Q seven five three one. I joke about that, and I am a humorist. I'm a inspirational comic and an author. I make fun of that because one day um, I don't make fun of it. I'm poking fun at it. I'm I, my thing is about laughing at the human condition, so we can all learn better to laugh at ourselves and not take well, ourselves seriously. Well, come on, so come on, Quinn. I mean, I I, <laughs> I agree with you. I think we've earned the right to be a little silly yes. and a little gilly, um, and to be a little comedic about this whole thing. I mean, because those of us, you're 52. I'm 61, though I might add, with either one of us, you would never know that if you met either one of us in person, let's be clear. But in the era and time that we grew up, we went through hell on earth. I mean, we went through some really hard times for a very long time. And um, when we say LGBTQIA, and I'm not being disrespectful either because I am one of those letters but every now and then I tease and I say, we're taking over the whole alphabet <laughs> because it does. It gets to be more and more and more and more. And it's it's a learning. We're on such a fast paced learning curve of what all the letters mean and how to be appropriate and, um, you know, those kind of things. So I get you. You know, I, yeah, I really no, I get where you're well. coming from. And I'm glad that either. you're putting some laughter into this because, well, yeah, and the you truth know, is I can't keep up with all the new words for mm-hmm. Um, whether it's sexual expression, gender identity, you know, I'm not, I'm not up to speed with it. And on some level, that's a good thing because it just means it ex- it's expanding so quickly to encompass and include everybody that at some some point it's going to burst, and we're not going to need any labels ever again, other than we are, you know, spiritual beings having a human experience, and you can even be a spiritual being having a human experience and call yourself agnostic or atheist. Because the definition of agnostic or atheist is in reference to a spiritual being. That's my take Absolutely. on that. That's how I want no, to that's my inclusive. take on it, too. I say being a spiritual leader uh, the majority of, of my life is that atheists uh, do a better job of promoting our creator than many of us who claim to no one do. <laughs> That's a good point. And people actually. are yeah, surprised with me with me when they introduce myself uh, themselves to me, and they'll go, you know, um, I don't know how you're going to take this, but I'm I'm an atheist almost apologetically, and I go, I love atheists <laughs> because usually <laughs> right. you're right. kind of saying the same thing we do. We're saying usually we don't believe in the God that we were introduced to early on in our lives or the God that out there, some people are still promoting, surprisingly, in the year 2020, of a God that hates most people, but just a select few. So, yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. Gosh, it's so funny. You and I have never really spoken off record, and yet I feel like we're just picking up with a conversation we've had just yesterday. It's really cool. Thank well, you for that. I love that. the fact that you live your life so openly, because just just combining an out and proud gay woman as yourself. And you said you're 61 now. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. uh, you know, that with the title Reverend, that is healing to so many people who don't even know you and may never meet you. But just the fact that you, you know, you can make peace with both because so few people, I mean, so many people still need to do that deeper piece of work around healing the shame and the deeper woundedness that was put upon them 
from their churches of origin with families of origin and whatnot. Um, but healing is happening, and, and it's, I, I, I have no reason to be an optimist, and yet I am. My life, if you looked at my life story, it doesn't make sense that I'm an optimist, and yet here I am telling you I am. And, and sometimes I'm amazed at myself with that. I love the title of your show, The Intentional Spirit, because literally I was just asking myself the other day, okay, what have you been, Quinn, what have you been doing? I'm home right now. I'm back in Virginia. I live in Santa Fe, New Mexico. I'm with my mom. She's having some health challenges. I'm here helping her. And it's been intense. It's been wonderful and beautiful, but it's been intense and overwhelming. And I've mostly been succumbing to the intense and overwhelming part of it. I'm like, okay, you know what? You've been naming it that. Let's rename every day from the minute you get up and, and sit down into meditation. Let's not name it intense and overwhelming. I'm I'm here of, about I'm here doing service for my mom, my beloved mom. I am here growing in ways I didn't quite need know I needed to be growing right now, right? That this is always a gift. I, I heard that in when I went to rehab years ago, about 14 years ago. Uh, my saw my story is long and winding. In a nutshell, let me give you my story. So. Um, I knew I was a, a boy in the wrong body growing up, and I liked girls in rural Virginia. Did uh, age, I was born in the Philippines. We moved eight times before I was six years old. So it was in my system to move. Like the whole idea of um, wherever you go, there you are. And I think that's a, I'm pretty sure that's a book title. I don't know the author's name. But this whole concept of doing a geographic is something we learn about in recovery. It means when you're blaming the location, the job, the city, the girlfriend, whatever. You're blaming everything exterior to yourself, and yet you're the problem. And so years later, when I found myself in Los Angeles, um, I lived for 10 years, and I lived in 13 places. I was moving, you know, like way too much because I just couldn't be with myself. Uh, it's been a long and winding road learning to be with myself, learning to be comfortable with myself, which was some of your, your intro material uh, coming into the show I was listening to, and I really love that because I'm still working towards that, a full and complete acceptance, love, surrender, and knowing I'm enough. Like, this is what I teach, and I teach improv and essence work and all kinds of fun things, and I'm an inspirational comic, and I've written a book and done three solo shows, and my message is it's never too late to be your authentic self, and yet here I am daily trying to drop into that more and more, keenly aware that I'm, I haven't arrived yet. Yeah, I'm doing my best all the time. I really, even on the funky days, that's the best, right? We all have biorhythms. We all have different things. So I've made peace with that. Like some days, you know what? I gave it my best shot. I'm clean and sober. I didn't hurt anybody. I didn't hurt myself. Time to be done for today. And that's that's a new thing. Um, so in a, in a nutshell, I was in Los Angeles. Uh, ended up going on a trip with my dad. Hadn't been on a trip with him in years. Of all places, we went to the Bermuda Triangle on a cruise ship. And I was already active in, you know, using, popping pills, drinking, but nothing so excessive uh, as this trip. I was on this trip, and all of a sudden, I'm going gang. I'm just going crazy on pills and alcohol and a little bit of dangerous behavior to the point where I was cognitive of it, and I was like, what's this? But I didn't wait in long enough to answer it. Uh, on my flight home to L.A., I had never experienced this kind of uh, this sadness, this despair, and, and, yet the, and also this boiling up rage. 
and this feeling of, you know, the idea that home is where the heart is. And I'm like, well, where's my heart? Like, I was so uh, dissociated in that moment, I couldn't sense where my heart was, never, never mind where I should be on the planet to be pursuing my passion, et cetera, et cetera. At the time I was in L.A., I was living part-time on a sailboat I owned that I wasn't supposed to live on, and then part-time in an art studio that I wasn't supposed to sleep in. So I didn't have a landing place. I was running from my – I picked two places to kind of call home, but neither of them, them were legally a place that I could stay in. So what, what kind of communication is that to the planet or, or to God? Because the other thing, too, is I, had a, I owned a sailboat, but I was never going to learn to sail. What kind of communication is that? Like up the anchor and just float off noncommittal, mm-hmm. I can't do life. I really was having a hard time doing life. Anyway, and then this trip happened, and cellular memory kicked up. And when I went back to Los Angeles, um, I was truly dissociated. Uh, I was as close to crazy as I ever want to get. And I can say all of this now with no shame at all, because I really, truly know, and I've made 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 amends to myself, and I'm making a living amends to anyone and everyone that knows me, just by tr- always trying to do my best and, and be heart-based. But at the time, it was I acted out on an ex-girlfriend. I just called her on the phone and scared her. Showed up at her place of employment one day. They called the cops. I got a three-year restraining order out of that whole ordeal. Wow. Um, yeah. Again, I can say this with no shame. I'm not proud of uh-huh. it. Don't get me wrong. Uh-huh. Just because there's no shame doesn't mean I'm proud. Um, I can just say this because I know a lot of people are out there holding a lot of things inside, and I truly, truly know. I don't want to just say believe. I know that I'm as sick as my secrets. The minute I start holding a secret and thinking I'm less than or I don't deserve love or I'm unworthy of anything, it starts to eat away at my my everything. And then it ripples out and affects – it becomes toxic to anyone who's around me. So I say all of this because it's been quite a healing journey. So that was about that was in October of 20 I'm sorry, October 2004. I called a friend. I had the wherewithal call two dear friends. I called one. I said I need help. I'm literally as close to crazy as I ever want to get. She came and picked me up for containment and kind of played babysitter. I called another friend and she was calling mental hospitals and seeing what we needed to do. I called in another friend who I knew had been very active in doing therapy and talked to her and told her what was happening. And she gave me the numbers for two different therapists. So I called these two different therapists as best I could. You know, keep in mind, I'm a bit dissociated, not really in my body. I'm aware of what I'm doing, but I felt as though my, my body temple was an outline that wasn't filled in. Does that make sense? Like I was just mm-hmm, the, mm-hmm. the outside of myself. And then my inner being, if you will, not my soul, but something, I don't know what it was, but some big chunk of me in sort of a circular um, fashion, if you will, that's what I feel like it was like, was just hovering to the right of me, like right outside my body, right beside me. But I wasn't connected. I wasn't one in myself. And I called these two therapists and I said, here's what's going on. I just acted out, got in trouble with an ex-girlfriend. It looks like I'm going to get a restraining order. I didn't know at the time it would be a three-year restraining order. No small thing. Um, I said, I don't remember my childhood before 11. I've pieced it together through photographs. I've had three to four very specific uh, incidences 
in my life that have rendered me in the same position. Some of them have been sexual, but they haven't all been. Maybe two were sexual, the other two were not. But they rendered me instantly in the fetal position, on the floor, sobbing and rocking, like in less than a second to have some kind of stimuli hit me from the exterior, whether it was an acting class or a time with a dear friend or two sexual uh, moments I had with girlfriends prior that were very safe people, but they all elicited the same response. Like in record time, how am I, this adult humanoid, on the floor in this tight fetal position rocking and crying and and not in my present, you know, not in my mind, kind of out of my mind. And um, the other thing was I said, I said, you know, I shared these things. Don't remember my childhood before 11. Pieced it together through photographs. That's one. Number two, I've had these four experiences that elicited the same response, almost as though life itself was punching me in the solar plexus and just trying to knock me out from that place. And then the third thing, I just went on a trip with my dad and came back and with all these crazy feelings, like rage and sadness like I'd never known. And both therapists, independent of one another, said, it sounds like possible childhood trauma. Now, keep in mind, I wasn't looking for a quick fix, nor was, if I was, that wasn't going to be a quick fix, nor was that what I wanted to hear, nor was that what I ever thought had happened in my life. And yet, upon hearing this from both of them, each time I got more in my body, like that feeling of being right beside myself to the right came instantly back in and like filled my solar plexus that part of me that felt like it had been punched out all those years prior it, it filled itself again with me with my essence and probably so like, one okay, of the first times that you've ever felt validated in your life and and i had never entertained this and yet mm-hmm. when i really started to do the work and look at all the triggers all my responses to rape scenes in movies of which there should never be any and there are way too many uh any other kind of violence and aggression towards uh women in particular but any demographic who is belittled berated and whatnot my my response was always heartfelt and, and, and real, but I always thought, well, that's just because I'm an artist. That's because I'm a sensitive. That's because I'm an empath. Well, maybe yes, and maybe there's more. So I started doing really, really difficult work. Um, I was seeing a therapist, uh, Shelly Pusich, in Los Angeles three times a week for three months, and it was the longest three months of my life. And I was literally house-sitting and you know, staying in my car a little bit, mostly house-sitting, and I, I went to her with tears rolling down my face, you know, every every day, and, and having no sense that my life could go on, having no sense that all of a sudden my life had fully fallen apart, and I could see all of the pieces on the floor in front of me. And for the first time in my life, it made sense. Like, my entire life made sense at the lowest point of my life, at what was one of the lowest points of my life. At that point, it was the lowest. And I had to trust that my, first of all, my body, I fully know that the body, the body keeps the score. I think that's another uh, a book title that's already out there. The body keeps the score, something like that. It says that cellular memory is there. You know, it's all, and you have, we have to listen to the innate knowingness of our body temples. And the fact that my body responded so quickly to both of these therapists and then responded to the therapy. And again, I'm sitting there with tears rolling down my face, Temple. I couldn't, for the life of me, think there was any 
hope for me. At the time, my name's Kathleen. I'm in the wrong body. I'm in Los Angeles. I'm living in places I don't, I'm not supposed to live, so consequently, I'm house-sitting. Um, I'm clean and sober at that time no, because I couldn't entertain, you know, messing with the current state of my head, which was already a mess. And, um, but it wasn't conscious recovery. And uh, I'm sitting there, and she knew that. Shelly Pusich knew that, looking at me week, you know, week after week. And she would say to me, she would say to me, because I couldn't believe it. She would look at me with just nothing but love and open-heartedness and her eyes tearing up too and say, Kathleen, there's hope for you. There's hope for you, Kathleen. Really, there is. And I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't latch onto it, even with my tiny finger, my, my pinky finger. No part of me could latch on to the concept of hope for myself. And in those moments, looking at her and knowing she was not messing with me, knowing that she wasn't just saying what she needed to say to get me through my 50 minutes and out the door, she was heartfelt, she was true, she was real, and I knew that if she believed it, then I could believe that. I could, I could believe in her hope for me. And that was the first little breadcrumb that got me back into the world. It was like her saying to me week after week, there's, Kathleen, there's hope for you. Really, there is. There's hope for you. And I could latch onto that. Well, after three months of therapy, three times a week, something came up about me as a baby in diapers, and I shut it down. I don't know if it was God, my higher power, a connection of all of that, or what, but I know something in me overrode my system and said, uh-uh, knowing that at that moment I couldn't have gone there. I, couldn't, mm-hmm. I saw the visual, and that was enough. I don't want to know what came next in that little movie from my life. Well, that night, and she said at the end of therapy, at the end of the session, she said, Kathleen, are you aware that you really shut down? I said, yes, I am, and I'm actually really glad. Um, as I was saying, it was an image of me in a, as a baby in diapers, and that's enough for today. I can't, I don't want to see what's next. I don't, I'm not ready, and there has, you know, there has to be other ways to heal, and she let me know that there were, but I left there pretty spooked. And um, one of the other things I'm in recovery from, I'm, I'm in recovery currently from crack cocaine, alcohol, sex and love addiction, and dangerous behavior and pills. Um, I'll have 14 years off crack cocaine this coming April 12th. Um, it's a miracle. I've put together two and a half years off alcohol. I quit popping pills years ago. And the sex and love uh, addiction recovery is going really well. I'm very intentional and mindful about that. Some would say very 1950s. I'm just kidding. Um, but I, I, my life is finally working, right? Um, but well, I'm gonna moment. I'm gonna say something different just for a moment. I'm just gonna take yeah. a moment and I'm gonna say that your life has been working all along. In other words, I love what you have on your website. Uh, your version of Namaste is Bevaste. My inner Bevaste. baby sees your inner baby, and all is truly well. For me, part of what I've learned to stand for because of what occurred in my life and the difference spiritually and sexually that I was and the hardships that that created early on in my life. I've come to realize there's a difference between being born and continuing to be birthed. And what I find exciting about your life is uh, and will continue to be the tens of thousands of people that will make a different choice other than suicide, that will make another choice other than a life of jail or a life of feeling imprisoned, even in one's mind. We don't have to, I've gone to jail twice. You don't really have much on me. But that being said, 
you know, um, there's a big difference between somebody that's obviously behind the bars of of reality versus people that are in prison that spend their whole life and never really have the capacity or the freedom of the courage to live. So I, you have my utmost respect because I think that you were destined for this work. And I think that part of that destiny has shape shifted you through all of that so that now you are here to spend in this incarnation, the ability to transform uh, not only lives, but communities. And anyway, I, I just applaud you for that. You made it, you know, that you didn't thank give you. up, that you weren't oh, yet you. another statistic. And uh, with the second leading cause of death uh, being suicide with young people, there's a space for you out there um, to capture and use what has happened to transform so many people so you're the trans guy that is transforming others and i find that to be extremely exciting i just had to put my two cents in about that <laughs> oh i love it that was more than two cents i love it yeah. and and you're mm-hmm. you, you are right and and i don't take any of this lightly i don't take any mm-hmm. of my past story the reality was for so many years, I thought I was my story. I thought I was limited to what happened to me, not mm-hmm. what happened through me and then was you know, transformed, if you will, alchemized, if that's even a word, from pain to power. You know, and didn't, didn't we just see in the news this week that a third grader in our country committed suicide? I don't know the name. I don't know the state. But a third grader somewhere here in, in the United States mm-hmm. committed suicide. I mean, we gotta we gotta know that there's no shame about talking about our truths. You know, I've dealt with suicidal ideation since the age of 11. It does get better. It only snags me here and there, and it's just a thought. You know, it's just me being exhausted, overwhelmed, and wanting and out. So now I know. You know what? That is never the answer. So what do you do, Quinn? What's self care? What do you need to do for self-care right now, right? And I've learned that in recovery. There's a great uh, little saying. You, you may have know, may know this from different circles. It's simply if you're, if you're out of sorts, if you're cranky, if you can't track what's going on, they say halt, as in stop, halt, H-A-L-T. The H is are you hungry? The A is are you angry? The L is are you lonely? And the T is are you tired? And if you – most people, when you're fully cranky, because we go to – in our culture especially, in Western cultures, it's like go, 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 go. You better be bone tired before you try to go to sleep. Like we have this really crazy idea of what success – means right success means working hard all the time or uh, i don't know I'm, I'm changing all of that in my thought process um but if you're hungry have a snack if you're angry process it get in touch with it do some writing call someone that's safe vent you know write a letter to the editor whatever you need to do to get it out uh lonely reach out to a friend cuddle your cat or dog right uh and then tired take a nap but half the time when i finally check in you know, the joke is I'm like mostly, I'm always, I mean, I'm almost all of them. It's hard to believe we're already into the half hour here. If you're tuning in, we're talking about to Quinn Fontaine. You can go to his website, quinnfontaine.com. We'll be right back.
You're listening to Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to The Intentional Spirit with Reverend Temple Hayes. Welcome back, everyone, and so glad that you're here. Please follow us on templehays.com, firstunity.org, and now we have the most exciting university online, which addresses the real need for leaders in our society today, uh, like the individual we are speaking with today, Quinn Fontaine. We need more and more people stepping up, stepping out, and boldly addressing some of the issues that are so much evidence in our society today. So we move forward with that, and we're so grateful, and that is illy.org. It's always a pleasure, and today we're talking about our spirituality and our sexuality, and we've gone from sexual to bisexual and, what, trisexual, right, Gwen, <laughs> what's trisexual? Try anything, you know, people. <laughs> yeah, just try it. Yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. yeah try your sex, Try your sexuality. No. Yeah, it's what been a we, journey. You know, what think, we bring to the table, you and I, of a, a bit of a, a a a number of years on this planet, difference, but some things very similar of of not feeling um, so comfortable in our bodies because of our culture that said that it's not okay to feel comfortable in our bodies or it's not okay to be who we are or at 13 and a half, my grandmother, I was her favorite. And she said that until she discovered that I like girls. And I went from being her favorite ever to a disgust, a distaste. And I'm so sorry that I won't see you in heaven. That's a lot to embrace, you know, before you are uh, 14 years old. And so, um, we're living in times now that we can can share, can talk, uh, can express. And even though we might look at this one part of the world, I'm really about the whole world. I don't just reflect the United States of America. I'm about the whole international world. But yeah. that being said, even though some people might feel we've made progress here, these conversations don't need to stop because in some ways we haven't made that much progress here. And the other thing is that in other countries, there's been no progress made. So that's why we're doing what we're doing. That's why Quinn and I are doing the kind of shows that we're doing. It's not that we need to keep talking about our childhood for God's sakes. It's that somewhere out there, there's a child that's going to hear us and go, okay, there's hope for me. There's hope for this situation. So, again, back to you. Go to Quinn, Q-U-I-N-N, Fontaine.com. Find out what he's about, his shows, his programs, and get behind this very, very, very young man. (laughs) Who's just a few years younger than I am. And I'm very young, too, if I didn't say that already. (laughs) Well, yeah, no, uh, ages, you know, ages. A number, Nothing. truly. It, it, what? It, how do you feel on the inside, and what's your frequency? What? How are you vibrating? You know what I mean. I'll always be playful. I will always be okay. playful. I love. Um, I love what you're talking about. You know, the, never mind the title of your show, the intentional spirit. But I love what you said before the break about how many people live in a prison 
and they've mm-hmm. never been to prison. Their prison is their mind, their body, their reality mm-hmm. that they have ascribed to because they think they have to, you know, that they've never dropped in and asked themselves. Because in this in this day and age, it's true. You ask someone, well, what's your passion? And a lot of people act like that's a, especially, you know, people my age and older, I'm 52, they act like that's a uh, luxury question because so many people are in survival mode. You know, they can't even think about thriving. So most people put their passion to the weekends once a month on, as a hobby. But if we, if more and more people could light up and be doing what they really, really love and what they really, truly know that they're supposed to be doing, which is often tricky, you know. I'm an artist. It's tricky to be an artist in our culture. Um, but I try to stay in alignment with my, what is my what? What am I here to do? And the God of my understanding uh, brought teaching into my life about three and a half years ago. I was asked to take over a class that I was one of the better students in and more more apt to say I was one of the friendlier students in. And that combination had them handing the class to me, and I was really, really scared to do it. It was an improv class, and I, I had, didn't feel ready. I didn't think I could. And I kind of just took a moment and... You know, everything said yes. The God of my understanding, my body, everything lined up and said yes. And uh, so I said yes, even though I was scared. And out of that, I have built a private studio, uh, the Quen Fontaine Studio in Santa Fe, New Mexico. I have ages 7 to 87 coming to classes with me, teaching essence work, acting, improv, singing, all kinds of fun stuff. I just hired five new teachers um, so I, I'm able to be on the road for a month, and my studio is up and running and full of full of magic. And I had this aha moment before I left town. I had this real realization that I brought in all these beautiful souls that are all about what I'm creating there, which is, number one, it has to be a container of safety. If people don't feel safe, they're not going to take risks. They're not going to grow. They're not going to play. They're not going to really expand. Um, I had this aha moment of like I brought in such amazing people. I don't need to be here to micromanage the magic. The magic can happen without me. And I just kind of love that that phrase. Like I don't have to micromanage the magic anywhere because magic just happens. My job is to let it. My job is to get out of the way. What I said earlier in the show is, you know, I'm I'm an optimist, and based on my life story, I shouldn't be. But if I had stayed stuck in my life story, I wouldn't be. At some point, I was able to step out of that and really start trusting that there are beautiful souls on this planet that do want to help other people on the healing path. So I've been healing, actively working on my trauma resolution uh, for 16 years. I'm coming up on 14 years off crack cocaine, which is a huge endeavor. I'm, I've just put together two and a half years off alcohol. Uh, I cleaned up pills and pot a while back, about five years ago. And my message to anybody is it's never too late to be your authentic self. And that means getting clean and sober, if that's what it means for you. It means transitioning, if that's what it means for you. Because to be honest, my transition from female to male is what's saving my life. To finally be in a body that matches my brain is incre- it makes everything much more doable. It doesn't mean I wake up every day bouncing out of bed like, yes, I'm here. I'm fully an intentional spirit every second of every day. Um, no, but it makes it all much more doable. And being able to share like this, I, I feel so connected to you, and we've never met in person. This is our first phone, you know, our first first interaction, and it just feels feels magical and it feels soul-based because it is. We're both in alignment with that. I feel like we grew, we're a sandbox friend. I feel like we yeah, grew up together. That. 
Yeah, grow up together. That. You know, we have such that. a deep understanding, you see, and that's why it's important that you are sharing these messages because it's different. Like when I stand in front of the room and say, this year I'm celebrating 33 years sobriety. That's wow. different coming from me than um, somebody else saying, oh, I think sobriety would be a good idea. You know, there's a different relatability if you've gone through experiences. And that's why when people like you and I, we get so anxious to come together with joy, anticipated joy, because it's like, oh, you know, somebody that has a resonation with the path because you don't have a resonate. It's like my sister-in-law asked me one time um, with my wife of 15 years now, 10 years prior, we were friends. So we've been in each other's lives for a very long time. And my sister-in-law is sitting at dinner. And one night she said to me, like last year, we don't understand why you didn't trust us enough to talk about who you are, you know. And I went, it had nothing to do with trusting you. I had to get to a place always of being willing to trust myself because there were times in my life I had to trust myself enough to be willing to be di to die or yeah. to be shunned or someone to treat me like I have a virus, you know, which is very right. pertinent to now. Yeah. Uh, it was like, Oh, you've got the virus, you know, don't, don't be touching me. I, I don't want to get the, I don't want to drink the gay water or in your case, the, you know, gender, yeah. new uh, reality water right. um it's it's a dance and it, it's it's a, it's a dance that that we understand and back to you quinn well what i want to say to <laughs> temple <laughs> going live to temple hayes in the field, oh, temple right, hayes in the field. Quinn Fontaine. <laughs> no i love that um i love that you're living your life out loud and proud because you're giving permission to other people to do the same. And that's, that's my thing is like, I could choose to be stealth and stealth in the trans community means you pass as the, your, your, your gender, your true gender, not your gender assigned at birth. But once you pass as your, you know, true gender for me, that's male. A lot of people choose to be stealth, meaning never talk about being trans, never, never say their birth name. A lot of trans people call their birth name, uh, their dead name, and I love. I need to say that because I am rare and different in that I've made peace with Kathleen. That was my name for 47 years. I still hear it's. A, it's you don't you don't hear that name that often. If you hear it in a crowd, I still turn to see who's Kathleen. Like it's an it's a rare name, but I've made peace with that, and I say that out of all nothing but love and compassion because there are people that are completely wounded and hurt, rightfully so, based on the belief that 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 entity that person to them is dead but i was i'm not going to throw away all my photographs from my whole life you know i've been using my photographs to piece my life together to make it make sense and to make peace with all ages of me and i'm 52 now and i truly know that i am a culmination of every age i've been prior so when i get really cranky and i'm acting out i know that's my little toddler who's tired and I'm like, Quinn, come here, buddy. Let's take a nap. Like, I know how to love on him now, right? I'm learning to reparent uh, myself. Reparenting myself is key. That's how self-care has to happen. Um, my little 11-year-old was lighting fires. He was full of rage. So I, call, I'm, I know how to love him now. 
We don't have to act out with rage. You can write write some angry lyrics or write do something creative, throw some paint, but no, you don't get to light fires or spit venom or be acting out in that way anymore on the planet. But that's my job. That's my job to, you know, contain the tribe that's within me, if you will. One thing I wanted to say too, you know, I do choose to live out and proud as a trans guy. I live I choose to live out and proud with my whole story about being a trauma survivor at the hands of my dad. My dad sexually abused my sister and myself and, and a lot of other people in the family. Um, I've made peace with him. I realized that he couldn't stop that cycle. It stops right here with me. Um, I choose to live out loud about my recovery. A lot of people in recovery can't. It jeopardizes their families or their standing in society or their job status. I have a privilege. I mean, in, in, as rough as it is being an artist, it's a path I chose, and there are way more perks. And the biggest perk is that I get to be myself. And uh, you, here I am with my own studio, and most of my students are all walks of life. I don't have simply LGBT, I, to, to call back to the earlier part of the show, LGBTIQQ7531 students. I have everybody. And that hits me every now and then, Temple. I'm like, this is amazing that I have all these students, all ages, uh, loving me for who I am, and I get to love them for who they are, and we all get to grow together. It's been, you know, I often say I, I'm the, you know, there's the book, The Accidental Tourist. I've become, I was the, I'm, I'm the accidental teacher and now the accidental businessman. There is no accident. It just wasn't part of my plan. I have learned more about life itself by teaching. I'm a better human. I can finally say I'm a man. For years, I could just say trans guy. Now I can say I'm a man. I'm a better teacher, performer, human, and man, it's, it's, it's incredible. And I call all my students my babies, even if they're my, I have one private client who's uh, 87, who I drive down to Albuquerque to see, and she's my baby too. <laughs> a rich and beautiful life. Uh, and one I didn't plan for, but you know what? I, I'm saying a wholehearted yes to, um, even when I'm scared, and I'm often scared. You know, I'm still, I'm still working through a lot of residual fear and self-doubt that creeps up. Um, How's your family? Really Did they flow with you? My, I have a very your small your family. Your, your family of origin, shall I say. Yeah, I know it's very safe to know, like myself, you have a lot of chosen family and continue to do so. But your family of origin, did they, have they moved along with you? Yeah, they have. My family's tiny. My mom has, is now my number one fan. Um, my sister's been a rock star from the get-go. Uh, I didn't talk to my dad for 14 years. Uh, he wasn't willing to help my mom pay for rehab, and he just didn't want me getting healthy because I was getting close to truth that really, you know, implicated him and stuff he wasn't ready to look at or deal with. And and that's okay. I've made peace with that, too. I, I was on my book tour a year and a half ago and uh, came through a part of Virginia where he lives now and made the very intentional decision um, after my event the night before. I would get through that event, wake up the next morning, meditate and pray, see how I felt, because upon my drive back to my mom's town, I would go through his town. <clears throat> and I wanted to see where I was emotionally if I felt I could could see him and hold space for that. And I was really scared, but also excited. And my, it was my words for myself. It was, it was time for me to man up. Quinn, go see your dad. Go introduce your dad to his son, Quinn. Say, I love you and I forgive you. So that was my plan, was to say, hi, I'm Quinn. 
I love you and I forgive you, you know, not in one sentence, of course, but I got there. And I also gave myself the safety feature, if you will, of saying, go in, be really intentional with how you feel. If it gets weird or uncomfortable, you leave. You make an exit, a graceful exit. So I gave myself, did all that self-care going in and uh, saw him. He'd had a few strokes and um, he was a bit uh, belabored in his speech, but he was very uh, heartfelt and he met me at the door and, and I, he, he, I said, hi, Dad. He goes, hi, 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 Quinn. And I said, yeah, Dad, I'm your son. He goes, I know, you're my son, Quinn. And big hug and I'm, I'm feeling it right now because... Um, I knew it would be I knew it had the potential to be really magical and really healing. I didn't know what it would be like and it was. It was really special. And um I got to say I love him and I didn't need to. Keyword I didn't need. I didn't need to say I forgive you. Because that conversation couldn't happen at the level that I would need it to happen at and that's my work. Forgiveness is my work for me. You know the saying around you know Holding a resentment is drink like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. Mm-hmm. You know I, that I've lived that in many many um, ideations of things, and and I in that moment I realized I, there's no I don't need to say I forgive you. That I did it. I already did it for me. And just to be able to be there and love on him and get some pictures, and I, I think I was there for about an hour and fifteen minutes, and then that was threshold. I realized time to go. And I left, and uh, I knew it was really sacred for me. It was because I was scared to do it, and yet I did it. And um, I didn't want to miss that opportunity, you know, going through that town, and, and I didn't want to have any regret, you know, in case he were to pass away or something. And it was just time for me to do that. And on the drive home it was about a, an hour drive to where my mom lives, and uh, I just uncontrollable sobbing started to happen. So I pulled over on the side of the road and let myself cry for a good 15 minutes, just sobbing, making sounds I hadn't made probably since I was a baby, you know, just really old, old stuff. And and it was just felt really good. And I've, I've talked to him a few times on the phone since. Um, and then he, he started to get a little manipulative and, and just trying to twist things. And, and I realized it's I'm, I'm done here. I, I love him. He knows that. There's no there's no adult relationship here to have, uh, and that's okay. I've made there's no you know I'm not longing for a father that I'm never going to have. I've made peace with the father I had this lifetime, as I'm learning to reparent myself as both a mother and a father, bringing in the feminine and the masculine. Right? That's been a really huge thing in in recovery to to learn about. But yeah, that was powerful. And just talking about it, you know, it's it's visceral. It's in my body. No, absolutely. And it, it may be there the rest of your life. You've earned it, <laughs> right? Um, I, I know that. Um, and, and when you were saying um, it's, it's an evolution, I, I like the quote. Actually, I, I like it a lot, and I wrote it. It's uh, to wish upon a star is progress. To know you are a star is evolution. And by that, I'm not talking celebrity. I'm talking that we have this destined possibility of who we are, you know, in this world. And um, when I go would go back to my hometown uh, for many years in my 30s and in my 40s, it, it wasn't uncommon that if, if I was there for a period of time, I would come back to Florida sick. And then I went, oh, my gosh, you know, I'm a metaphysician. We can't have this, you know. So there's it needs to be something that that is not getting to me in this way. But 
Um, back when I was little and then would sit in this Southern Baptist judgmental hearing how awful and horrible and original sin we were and everything, then I couldn't tell then as a kid, I used to weep sitting there as a kid. Yeah. And I would be so uncomfortable and my body would be trembling. And I, at the time, I was like, is it because, what is it? And is it because I know that if they knew who I really am, you know, I could be sent away. I could be killed. I could be taken to a mental health clinic, which they almost did. Was it that? But I can say that in the last recent years, when I went to one of those communities to honor one of my um, schoolmates' uh, passing of their parent, the funeral. I sat there and I went, I was spot on even then. I cannot believe that people listened to this message filled with hatred and separation and doom and gloom. It had nothing to do with my sexuality then. It had everything to do with what are we teaching people and how can people, you know, what, you know what I'm saying? So well, you, you I just, even know as I wanted girl, to circle all the way the back planet. to being in, yes. And to being in rural Virginia that it, it is, it is going to be, we are going to have those sensations, but I think the beauty of them is they have a whole different meaning for us, you know? Yeah. yeah. What, where did you grow up? I grew up in, um, you probably have never heard of it, Anderson, South Carolina, which is um, about an hour from Greenville, Spartanburg. Okay. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, and some people carry that woundedness for years, you know, and never never touch it. They don't know how to touch it. But what is that saying, though? There's a quote. It's, I think it comes from indigenous cultures saying, when you heal right where you are, it ripples out and heals seven generations ahead of you and seven generations mm-hmm. back. Mm-hmm. So there's something really That's... powerful about being with my dad that day, knowing that it, that all that trauma that he inflicted on me stops with me and that I've made peace with him at the place that he is, you know, asking nothing of him. You know, for years I wanted, I thought, man, I'll, maybe I'll get my dad back if he watches the right Oprah show and decides to do some work on himself. Like I, I was holding out, hoping that. And mm-hmm. I let mm-hmm. go of that, you know, it's not his path. That's, it's probably not his path this lifetime, and that's okay. It's that's our maturity. Mine. Like when I asked my mom, uh, who is God to you? A man. Oh. <laughs> okay. okay. And I go, I go, okay. really, that's really what you feel? And she said, that's all I've ever known. And I think that's the maturity of inclusion and diversity and acceptance. It can't just yeah. be one way. Right. And there was a time we wanted them to accept us because that's where we came from. And and they were our only club of hope or possibility. But it's beautiful to say, oh, okay, that's okay. Whatever works for you. Good for you. Whatever works for you. Uh, (laughs) Having a daughter who is exactly the opposite of that. Not that we're talking that it's a man. I love men. It's that, and just because I'm gay doesn't mean I don't love men. Most of my best friends are men. I don't right. see God as a gender, period. I don't even say that God's a woman because I, right. I'm, hopefully there's a creator that's much larger than any personality in a body that we would create. So I felt a hallelujah come in on that. <laughs> <laughs> it's been so fun with you today, I, I tell you. What would you say that... Because I can't believe we've got to have you on the show again. Oh, my gosh, it's gone by so quick. What would you say 
that how has this shaped you, uh, Quinn, in a, in a minute or two? How, what would you say is something that is, is so special on this journey for you? That all of my lessons that I thought were going to take me out have really brought me in, not just mm-hmm. into my body. I think you should say that again. All yeah. my lessons that I thought were going to take me out have brought yeah. me in. Now, that's they a poster. You need to put that on the front of your website, sir. Uh, they brought me in, not just into my body, mm-hmm. but, you know, I used to have one foot out the door of every relationship, mm-hmm. every, every friendship, lovers, everything, work, jobs, the planet. I always had one foot out the door on the planet. Like, I didn't just, I didn't commit to fully staying here on this planet until a couple of years ago. I was like, I got to let go of this suicidal ideation. You know, I got to, I got to choose to be here and I got to choose to feel everything, knowing that there's a gift of more of me on the other side of it, that I can lead other people to more of them. Mm. That, that makes sense. Oh yeah, it must have. I got goosebumps, God bumps. <laughs> oh, I Absolutely. love that. I, I, I think we're uh, totally get that. tuning forks. Yeah, I love getting mm-hmm. goosebumps like that. Mm-hmm. But, well, this has been such a blessing. I mean, you know, and there years ago, I would I would have been so weird. I would have been so weirded out at the thought of me saying this is a blessing. I didn't talk that way yet. I, you know, I was scared mm-hmm. to say the God of my understanding. I was scared to say God. I had all these ideas that I was going to alienate other people and or alienate myself by, by owning that. But I'm very spiritual. I've always been. When I was kicking and screaming to not be on this planet, something held me here. You know, I'm a recovering crack addict who's never been in a crack house, who never had to eat out of a dumpster, who was never homeless, who never had to do tricks sexually for my drug of choice. Like, I was held. I was held. Yeah. I love alienating other people. And I, I love um, being weird and odd and being <laughs> called crazy and, you know, bring it on. Um, I spent too much of my life trying and attempting to belong. And one day I had this great epiphany from God, universe, angel, uh, somebody on the other side. I don't know. But the, the conversation was basically, you will never belong. Get over it. You're a difference maker. And you are too, Quinn Fontaine, everyone. Bye, Quinn Fontaine. Thank you for being with us. Bless you, everyone. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. What is it you really want in life? No matter what you've been through, you can still achieve it. I'm Sandra Ann Taylor, and in my Energy Activation podcast, we'll explore the science of manifestation and I'll give you specific techniques to shift your energy in order to make your dreams a reality. I also do live energy readings, and you can be a part of the show by emailing your questions to me at sandrataylor.net. Join me on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.